This podcast is a production of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Parkersburg, West Virginia. We have worship every Sunday at 10.15 a.m., Bible study before that at 9 a.m. I'm Pastor Golden. Join us on Sunday, won't you? And have a blessed, blessed day. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the many, many epiphanies you have shown us that will culminate next week in the epiphany of the transfiguration. Lord God, be with us today with your Holy Spirit in your word that we may learn uh, what you've revealed to us by nature so that we may hear your word and listen to it more fruitfully and so that we may know the saving nature and the saving works of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's back up. So last week, as we covered these two verses, we learned that everything culminates in this little quote here. Romans 1.17 the righteous shall live by faith. Instead of St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, we could actually call it the righteous shall live by faith. Yeah, and we have a few key words that'll with all these words combined, they'll appear actually a couple hundred times. And Paul will begin now to go back and forth between unrighteousness and righteousness, between unbelief and belief, between faith and the opposite of faith is what? The works of the law. Because faith is something we receive completely passively, but as we do the works of the law, as we will see, works of the law is actually opposed to faith except for the work of Jesus Christ, of course. So he pulls this quotation for his summary statement for his entire epistle is from uh, Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous shall live by faith. Now as he goes forward, he's going to turn it around. He's going to turn it around to where we can see about the unrighteous. The unrighteous. Why don't we begin by reading through? Let's read it as a whole first. Let's get. Let's read it through uh, verse twenty-three, verses eighteen through twenty-three. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, for they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish heart 
hearts with darkness. Finding to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. All right. Thank you. So we certainly have some things about nature and about creation in there. That's certainly a general feel. But he starts right out by describing what makes someone unrighteous. What does an unrighteous person do? What do they do? Suppress the truth. Suppress the truth. And how, how do you suppress the truth? Well, there's a lot of lies out there. And uh, the first one that I thought of that come to mind is, you guys have seen in the news this transgender swimmer for Penn College, or, yeah, Leah Thomas. Now, transgender athletics, there's one, there, there's one lie, a lie. A, a, a man born a man, wants to become a woman and compete in athletics. Now what's another, now what are some other lies out there that might contradict that? And the one I, the one I think of is there are some parts of feminism that are truths and some parts that are lies, but one of the things of, of feminism is I was born a woman and I'm proud of it. People born men should be proud of being men. But if I'm born a woman and proud of it and even have a superiority over men, well, that's like, uh, then we have these lies that are actually bopping each other down. So then I started to think, well, what could, what's a good picture of this? You guys ever play whack-a-mole? Remember the old game whack-a-mole? Every time, is it a gopher that comes up? A mole. Every <laughs> Whack a gopher. And every time one of these comes up, of course, this is suppressing, suppressing the truth. Lies suppress the truth. The, the, the possibilities are endless with examples that we see. When we see that somebody's lie is not um, is contradicted by another truth or another lie, it's all over the news. It's all over the news on either, on either side of the aisle that it may be. Now, this will come back up when we talk about truths and lies for a little bit. When we start, when we start talking about exchanging the truth for a lie and how this wrath of God is revealed. Now, I went one time. Even now, I think everybody would agree, ungodliness is more acceptable than it was 100 years ago. Ungodliness is more acceptable now than it was 100 years ago. And the truth, the truth we know is everything that we should have an appreciation for. So in righteousness, we appreciate the truth. We appreciate what this book tells us. In unrighteousness, we begin to appreciate lies. We appreciate lies in, in ungodliness and in unrighteousness. Um, 
Now, on one hand, that man become woman swimmer, yeah, she was strong and courageous to come out and compete. Um, but where, so, and then maybe on the other side, in feminism, there's no need for men. There's no need for men for a family denying the design of God. There's no, in some parts, there's no need for men at all for any sort of lifestyle. Um, man bad. Whack-a-mole. In these statements, I've described a little bit before of this word for. But Paul's going on a little, uh, Paul's going to have a little rant. Usually the word for means because. So I'm going to back up one verse. The righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. In this different use of this word, the simple word that's causal, causation, because, for, it, it could also be indeed. Indeed, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven to earth against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Also, so the wrath of God's being revealed. We don't know what that, we don't know what that looks like yet according to Paul. And we know in here that's going on now. How will that wrath of God be revealed in the future? And they'll tell us a little bit about it. How's the wrath of God revealed to us in the far future? With the coming of Christ, the last day. Fast forward a little bit to Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Verse 5 is a culminating statement that he's beginning now. And whoever would like to read verse 5. All right, thank you. So not only is their wrath revealed now, but, you're, but by suppressing the truth, you're actually storing up wrath for yourself when the judgment will be revealed. Verse 19, indeed, what can be known about God? This is just going to begin to talk about one of these truths. What is the truth? Indeed, what can be known, and if it's known about God, it's inherently, intrinsically, the truth. What can be known about God is plain to the unrighteous, to the ungodly. To those, because God has shown it to them. This is the natural knowledge of God, that which can be known about God, that is plain 
to them. Um, these are the unbelievers, the ones that do not believe what back in verse 3 and 4, the, the death and resurrection of Christ. And this, this known word, you ever hear of Gnosticism? Gnosticism? It's a, it's, it's a theological term, but here it's, it's used uh, what can be known about God. There's a difference. There's two different words that they use for known in the Bible that we don't know. Gnosis is just the knowledge of what I can see, feel, hear, touch. In Gnosticism, Gnosticism believes that all that is evil and only spiritual is good. It's not true. What's missing here is epigenosis. Whenever the word epigenosis is mentioned, what is known about God, then you start hearing about these things. Righteousness, life, and faith. Ultimately, salvation. What's an epipen? EpiPen is the, I was trained once, uh, I, had to be, I had to be trained as working in security, I just, I'm like, I have to stab that, someone's dying? Have you ever had to do that? Anybody had to do that? Yes. So Epi is thorough. Epi is a thorough knowledge that leads to salvation. Paul, Paul's a language guy, he uses a lot of rare stuff. So we know that this knowledge about God does not lead to righteousness, life, and faith in Christ that leads to salvation. But what can be known about God, revealed from heaven, is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And he will describe that here in the next verse. What are the obvious... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's 30 levels, actually. 30 levels of knowledge. You have to climb your way, while you're here on earth, climb your way through these levels of knowledge. The highest level of Gnosticism is Sophia, is ultimate wisdom. Uh, wisdom is actually given to us in truth. Yeah, very good. Verse 20. For his invisible attributes... Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Now, if I'm a lawyer, how is what invisible clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse? To that swimmer, he was born a man. To that mountain that we can't figure out how it got there in science, 
was created by God. To those, uh, all the animals of the fields that mysteriously are able to multiply, they're, act, they're mysteriously able to eat, they mysteriously have this instinct that they die, recreate, that they rest, that they find their own shelter. All this in the attributes of creation, which actually will be a little bit of, our, of the sermon today. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. So we are to know these things. We are to naturally perceive these things, whether I've read anything about anything in the Bible or know anything about God. There must be something supernatural that I don't understand going on. That's what Paul's talking about. We, that without any knowledge of, of life or faith in Christ that leads to salvation, we have two attributes, eternal power and divine nature. This is what anyone and everyone is able to perceive. Now, eternal power, we talked a little bit about this power word before. This is miraculous in nature. This is supernatural. Something that we can't explain with physical actions or, or, or science or physics. And then, of course, divine nature. Um, this is a little bit different. This is the only use of this word in the Bible. This is basically godliness. Godliness. Now Paul, in this verse, begins began speaking in terms that aren't necessarily familiar to Jewish, Jewish Christians of the day or Jews of the day, but classical Greeks that live in Rome will definitely understand, especially this, this godliness word. have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Um, it has unusual vocabulary, yes, and this verse also has very unusual uh, grammar. It's based in, uh, it's, it's, he steps away, so, so far at this point, Paul is speaking in Jewish philosophy terms, easiest way to put it. Now he's going to, he's starting to blend into judicial terms, into forensic terms, into uh, guilty, the, the accusations, or the, uh, uh, the defense, and things of the like. Uh, he actually starts to speak into a, a Greek, language of a Greek philosophy, even using, even using this, uh, it's an oxymoron. Invisible, perceived, and it's an order. He's speaking like a lawyer. To have this one statement, he cut, to build up to that one statement, so they are without excuse. Paul says they have no defense. This word is actually unapologetic. Not unapologetic like I'm not sorry. Unapologetic meaning I have no defense for what I'm saying. So they, these ungodly, the unrighteousness, have no defense because they've been able to clearly perceive 
the invisible attributes of God, eternal power, divine nature, is what was revealed to them, revealed to them since the creation of the world. They've been perceived. Now, here's where we draw the line. One of the biggest mysteries of the church is creation out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. All he said was a word. Let there be, dot, dot, dot. And he said it. It's called the creatio ex nihilio. Latin students back there. Creation out of nothing. It's a complete mystery. We believe it by faith. We believe it because the word has told it to us. That does not mean, however... Well, does it mean, actually, maybe it does. So if I look at the mountains and I look at a leaf and, and I know how I was born and I grew up and now I'm a man, that's how things are created in this order. I can see deer running in the field. Is there something obscuring the signs of a creator? Paul says no. Nothing is obscuring the signs of a creator. What obscures the sign of a creator? Lies. Lies obscure the sign of a creator. Lies created by men. Making a decision to not perceive him. That's a really good way to put that. I like that. Now, to back this up a, a, a little bit, Paul knows scriptures extremely well. Let's turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, and whoever would like to read verses 1 through 4. All right, thank you. So this backs this is this is what we're talking about. These truths, they're not uh, this truth and this fact within it is not obscure. It's not like it's not cryptic. Um, they're obviously perceived. In this verse twenty, also is a verdict for verse 18. Here are the facts. The wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness lie, exchange the truth for a lie. So they have no defense. Um, the prosecution rests for a moment, even though Paul doesn't. Paul will, Paul, will keep, Paul will keep on it. 
The fascinating thing about this, none of these observations require the word of God beyond in what creation itself speaks. And it's not just a static creation. It's not just a, it's not just looking at that mountain in the looking at that mountaintop. Because what happens at that that mountain in the distance in West Virginia? It goes from green, goes from goes to colors, goes through seasons. Even the, the seasonality of the earth, the the 24-hour creation of day into night into day into night. It, it's not a static creation. And we'll also see that God is not lightly involved at all. So, people are held accountable to respond just to this. That begs the question. There's a lot of people that have have no exposure to the Bible, no exposure to the gospel, no exposure to Jesus. Does that mean that... What does that mean for them? What is going on, how we might be able to help them? Well, let's turn to Romans 2. Romans 2, look at verses 12 through 16. Sixteen, I'm sorry, sixteen. Okay. Yep. They they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Thank you. And, and those last few words are is very good news. Good news for us who believe in Christ Jesus. Surely. But for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. As Paul later on will, uh, will explain to us, the wages of sin are death. Sin leads to death with or without the law. What is this law that he's talking about? The scriptures. It's the laws of the Old Testament. So, this sounds like bad news. All who have sinned under the law, okay, that's me, will be judged by the law. Okay, that's bad news. Um, only a doer of the law will be justified. That's really bad news now. I'm not going to be justified. But we have somebody who does the law for us. We have somebody we will be judged by faith, as Paul will begin to explain even further. Now, Back to this. It's 
So we have the statement, and we have, of course, the, 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 the verdict, or, or the closing argument, the final, the final statement there. So they are without excuse. Now, Paul does not say in here that one should accept the existence of a personal relationship with God. It's not that. Not yet. That's this stuff. Based upon things made, but verse 19 makes it clear for what can be known about God. For what can be known about God. This is the acknowledgement of an existence of a God, which is, which is, which is, a, which is a step. Now, there are things made in creation. So naturally, there should be a creator. That's what, that, that, that's what we have realized. And if somebody would like to fast forward just a few verses to verse 20, 25, and go ahead and read 25. Romans 125. That's okay. Sorry. <laughs> I know, I was still on two. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, which it serves So those three verses we started at do not discuss righteousness, life, and faith. They don't. There's there's nothing that leads to those leads to those clues because we're still in this this what this first example of a truth. Um, but what Paul does say is that one ought to acknowledge. What one ought to acknowledge about God is two of his qualities. These two qualities, eternal power with no beginning, no end, and is miraculous. And the nature of godliness of God. The divine nature, what we call divine. Simply put, creation reveals the existence of the eternal power of the divine creator. This is what is clearly perceived. Now, where do we have this sort of language today? What's, what, what's, what's been written in the past few hundred years that shares this? Most Americans know it. We, yeah, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. So up until, I don't know, 100 years ago, majority of Americans, let's say, held these truths to be self-evident. These truths, that there must be a creator. Now we're in a spiral. 
But what about somebody? So, what if somebody you know is patriotic but doesn't believe in a creator? That happens. What if somebody you know, you know, do we then say, do we then take the U.S. Con, or the Declaration of Independence and I, I'm, I'm glad you said that, actually, because I thought it was the Constitution. That tells you how much I love U.S. history. Um, do we say, hey, you love America. Your own Declaration of Independence accepts a creator. Do we use that? Are we to be as wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves? You're darn right. <laughs> if, if, now, that's a, now, granted, that may be a rarity, but it, it, a more rarity, but it, but it does happen. But then we have, you know, how can God judge people who have never been taught about him? Paul, closing statement on this part, they are without defense. They are unapologetic about views that suppress the truth. That we surely know. There's, this, is, this, is, this may be more timely in the past century than, ever, than in history. All right, on to verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile, futile, I like to say futile. Is that the wrong way to say it? I've heard it futile, I've heard it futile. Well, somebody the other day said, boy, are you from New York? Hey, yeah, how'd you know? Oh, we can tell. All right. Futile in my language. Um, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Here is the heart of the problem for Paul. For although they knew God, and you could say this about people who suppress the truth, you know God. You deny it with a lie. You deny it with, you suppress the truth. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Now there's a translation question here. Because there's a, there's a word missing in the Greek. Well, it's argued upon. The. So if that's missing, most places in Scripture it's always uh, ta theos, the God. And that, that's, that's Yahweh. That is the Lord. This one could be they did not honor him as a God. They gave no thought to there being any God. Or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Now what this the amazing part of all this, and the reason I use the examples that I did, is that Paul 
in this part, and we should, we should have time to get right up to it today. What's the first, I want to, yeah, I do want to see. What's the first massive public sin that happens after having not an excuse denying creation? Dishonoring of their bodies. Paul will lead into this a little bit. We'll talk about these verses. Because God gave them up handed them over to the lust of their impurities. So at the heart of this problem, not only do people fail to honor and thank the Creator, but they actually rebel against Him by actually worshiping creation instead. Now if you ask somebody, do you worship somebody who does not worship God, who's more involved in their Mustang that drives by our house at 2 a.m. every night at about 80 miles an hour, Did I say that out loud? <laughs> if somebody would, if somebody, uh, man, there's, there's a stop sign, two houses down, too, so you think. They actually rebel by worshiping creation instead. Whether, and that might be, if you ask them, do you worship your Mustang? No. But what you believe is what you do. How you believe is how you pray on Sunday. The things that we believe in our doctrine is what we practice. The things that we read in the Word of God is how we live our lives. What's the Mustang owner doing on Saturday and Sunday? Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Daniel's son, that's why I remember that. The verdict of indefensible is explained here. Here, here, is, here, is the, uh, here is the reason that they are indefensible. Although people knew that these people knew that these two self-evident truths of miraculous eternal power and divinity, godliness, supernaturalness. People did not respond properly. So according to this verse, people should respond. Let's take the flip side of it. For those who know God, they should honor him. It's a natural response. The word of God demands a response. They should honor him. They should give thanks to him. They should not be futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts would not, should not, be, would not be darkened. Now, to honor, what does it mean to honor God? If you remember, as we talked about in the first week, Paul is speaking to a culture of honor versus shame. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul opens up. To honor is to give glory to. Um, honor and glory are actually the same word, doxology. You may have heard that term before, doxology. Honor and glory is the same word. In the Old Testament, it, it's, it's used, it's, it's kavod. And kavod I, love the, I love that word. I don't love a lot of Hebrew words, but I really, wow, I love that word. I really like that. 
Kavod is the glory of the Lord, the glory of Yahweh in the Old Testament. Kavod means heavy. Heavy. Glory is actually heavy. Now remember, what's the symbol we have for justice? Uh, I, I'm not a good artist. It's got the little weight on one side. People use, people use it in trades. God, the glory of God is heavy. And he is, he is due giving honor. He is due giving glory and praise. These scales of justice are also drawn for the law and the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. We have in these same scales we sin and we sin and we sin and we sin. Nothing that we put on the other side of the scale does anything. For we have untipped the justification of God. Who has the weight to tip the scales back in our favor? The glory of God in Jesus Christ our Lord of the crucifixion tips the scales in our favor. This is not the last time we'll be covering the, the forensic, the judicial nature, the courtroom scene um, with Paul or even, or, or even in the Gospels. Um, the Gospels are just loaded with this same language. Um, because of what creation is revealed, humanity's first response should be to give God the highest regard. Some would like to turn to Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. By your will, they were created. Happy. All right, thank you. So not only is God worthy of our praise for the correcting of the injustice that we've done with our sin, but God is also worthy, weighty, of our praise. Now, can we balance that scale to make it even with God? God, I paid you back. No, that's works of the law. Even in, even in Revelation, it's the, the, res, the sole reason in verse 11 there for being, for God being worthy, he's the, he's the creator, and by your will, they existed and were created. This is also an ongoing creation. Um, an ongoing creation is like last week I talked about the grandchild. Grandparents look at their grandchild and they exist and they're alive and that's enough. That's just fantastic. In fact, it is very good that they're alive. Yeah, they do cute stuff. Sometimes not so cute. So worthy is uh, giving honor is he's deserving of it, deserving of the thanks. And this is our response for him tipping the 
the payment for sin scales into the payment for sin scale into our favor. But they did not. They did not give honor to God. They did not give thanks to Him. But they became futile in our thinking. Now I looked at this a little bit a couple of years ago. We were going over this text, and I asked another pastor, "What does it really mean to be futile?" And his description. His description was if you, you take a big boulder and you have a hill, and your goal is to get that boulder to the hill. So you push it up, you push it up, you lose control, and it rolls down to the bottom. So you go down and do it again. And I push it up, and I push it up, oh, and then it rolls down to the bottom. So I studied this word a little bit more, and I'd like to adjust that definition of futile. Futility, being futile, would be looking at the top of that hill, seeing a brick wall that there's no way you can get that boulder past, and going up and trying it anyway. And then it rolls back. That wall's still there. So there's a lot of intrinsic meanings in futility. But for them, this non-reaction, or this, no, no, this response to worship creation, to give honor to creation, um, for that Mustang that flies by at night. This reaction left to emptiness. It left it, emptiness, profitless. It's profitless if I go and try to push that boulder through that brick wall. It would be in vain to try to do that. Um, in there, and I, I, I love it. This is a different thinking word. we got different words for all sorts of words. In their inner dialogue, and uh, I think it's like, it's actually the word, it's like epidialogue or something. It's actually from the Greek word. In their inner dialogue, their conversation with themselves, whether it be mind and heart, however, however it may be, um, having this dialogue, I'll think I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I think I'll, I'll still lie and suppress the truth. Um, and then this foolish hearts being darkened. Foolish basically just not put together. Yeah. That's a really, say that again, opposite of wise, is that what you said? Oh, yeah, Jeremy, sorry. Yeah, opposite of wise, not put together in their hearts. Um, when something's not put together, I used to like, I used to like physics and science and that stuff. This is chaos. Chaos of their hearts. When something's not put together and, put, and not put in some sort of order, it's chaotic. And they're chaotic, they're foolish, they're non-put-together hearts. We're darkened. Chaotic hearts honor creation instead of the creator. Chaotic hearts are covered, covered with darkness. Actually, night falls upon them. Night falls upon chaotic hearts. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to be wise. This always 
When someone is active on their own behalf, you put the word self before it, it puts a, uh, it puts a realization of our sin on it. Take the word righteousness. Where does righteousness come from? Not from me. Self-righteousness. These are those who are, um, what's the best way to put it? Self-asserted wisdom. Self-asserted wisdom is unrighteousness. It is unrighteousness. Better yet, unrighteousness is self-righteousness. Unrighteousness, Paul describes them as a, this is, an, this is a stretched out version of the Greek word moron. I love it. It's like a morania. This is a version, self-righteous, self-asserted wisdom leads to, um, now, now we, when we say moron, it's, it's a bit derogatory. Yeah, Jennifer? <laughs> well, I linguistically I don't know, but I know that self-righteousness, you know, Paul says self-righteousness, self-asserted wisdom is being is being a fool. And there's nothing, still nothing, if we see righteousness, life, and faith in Christ that leads to salvation, how he opened up the letter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, it, I was thinking about this because uh, this was a proverb that the kids had to memorize uh, when they were tracking. But uh, Proverbs 27.2 is exactly what we're talking about right now. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Proverbs 2, uh, what? Claim, uh, Proverbs 27. Two. Oh, 27. Uh, but when you're claiming about uh, people, um, they're just declaring themselves wise. Somebody else is declaring them wise. That's a really good proverb for athletes. That's a really good proverb to live by. I mean, it is in the Bible. Let another praise you, not your own mouth. Huh, very good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm actually going to add that. Um, so Paul saying self-righteousness is being a fool. We'll look at this one other. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians. I can barely, I need more ink in my pen. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 21. What did you say? Oh, wait, it can't be. I can't read my. <laughs> the printer's running out. I, I think it's. No, it's not that. I... Maybe it's 121. I can't tell what chapter it is. That's it. 1 Corinthians 121. Whoever would like to read. Or 
for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God or did not know God through wisdom it pleased God through the Father of what we preach to save those who believe alright what we preach it's a bit of a bad translation, but I understand why they made it more English acceptable. Um, it pleased God through the moron of the preacher. That's probably why I didn't want to put that in there. But that's what this is the same word that that fool, father, the moronicness. The moronicness of, uh, please God, through the moronicness of, of, of what I preach to save those who believe. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a ton of wisdom just right there. God gives the wisdom through morons. God works through a sinner. <laughs> Ah, yeah. In fact, in the low, in low regard. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Ah. Ah. Folly. I, yeah, that would explain the word folly some more. So that, that's, that's pretty good. So through the Childishness, like the ch like the children in the marketplace, say a dirge, and we did not, and nobody mourns for them. Uh, the folly of what we preach to save those who believed. Um, verse twenty-two, and we'll close on this. Verse twenty-two, back in Romans one, is a reversal. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. But it also sets up the next two verses. We'll continue in next week. It sets up these next two verses of this unrighteous exchange. So there's two parts to this unrighteous exchange. First two verses is part one. After that is part two. Where God is, where God accepts it. God will accept this unrighteous exchange. Um, we'll get into that some more. So giving up the truth for a lie is where we're going to culminate that. That's, uh, yeah, in verse 25, he helps describe what this suppressing the truth is about. And God, what's the worst news you could have? Have at it. You're self-righteous, you believe you can do it? You think your Mustang's gonna save you at 2 a.m. in the morning? Not always so late, but most of the time. God turns them over. Actually hands them over. God gives them their inheritance. Uh, handing over. Any other questions? Good discussion, though. Dude. Yeah, I was just gonna, um, because I think about this whole thing. But I imagine, since this is too, Church and 
Yes, yeah, there's, there's a lot of Jewish intonations uh, for the first 12 chapters of Romans. And then at 13, he starts to give credit to government exactly in a different way. They, they, they said this, they made the golden calf, and they said this is what led us out of Egypt. Right, and yeah. Right, yeah. Oh, that's true. I'm sorry. This is what led us out of Egypt. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and saved us. This is what redeemed us. Yeah. Their faith clinged on to a created thing. God was so angry that he just killed all bunch of them right there. Like your 2018 Mustang chariot and horses. All right, let's close in, close in prayer. Taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.